If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Philippians chapter 3, and would you stand with me just for the reading of God's Word? It's, it's one way we can honor God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. You may be seated. Now, anytime you, you jump kind of in the middle of a book or the middle of a chapter or the middle of a letter like the book of Philippians is, um, you always want to get the background, what's going on, a little bit of context so we can remain it, with, within the context of its writing. And so this morning, that's what I want to do briefly at the start. I want to zoom out a little bit. During the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, the Lord is just incredibly blessing the ministry. The word of God is going out. People are getting saved. And in Acts chapter 16, we're told that those who were being strengthened in the faith, built up in the faith, it says that they were increasing in number. Man, revival's happening. Just people turning to the Lord. And it's around that time that the Apostle Paul meets young Timothy. He invites him to join with him in the ministry. And again, somewhere around that Acts 16 period, we're told that Paul gets this vision. We're told that he wants to go do ministry in all these other places. And the Lord is uh, telling him, no, 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 that's not what I have for you. The Lord didn't permit that, but so Paul is awakened with this vision, and really in this vision, we're, we're told that it's this guy, and he's inviting Paul. He says, Paul, like, hey, we need help in Macedonia here. We need help. And Paul, you know, he doesn't ignore this vision. He doesn't blame it on something bad that he maybe ate the night before, but he takes it as a word from the Lord. And what we know, if, you're, if you've read any of the Pauline epistles, um, you know that Paul has a unique sensitivity to the Spirit. And so he sees this vision, he gets this vis vision, and he doesn't hesitate. It says that he leaves immediately to go see what God has for him there. And so Paul gets there, he lands eventually in Philippi, and it's there that he preaches the gospel. And people are getting saved. Both men and women are getting saved. They're getting baptized. Demons are being cast out. And the church is birthed right there. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And let me just say this real quick. This is what happens when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, by the way. Good things, incredible things, supernatural things, supernatural things happen. And so that's what we're, we're witnessing with Paul. And so the Lord is using Paul in this community. He preaches the gospel. He establishes this church. And the church of Philippi would continue to grow. It would continue to be a, a healthy and vibrant church. 
It would really blossom. It wasn't perfect, but it was known to be the strong church, known for its generosity. They actually became a model, if you will, for the church. And so years later, Paul finds himself in a Roman prison awaiting trial, writing this letter to this church that he helped plant years, 10 plus years earlier. And he's not writing this letter in response to a crisis that's going on in the church, maybe like he did um, with Galatians or Colossians. He's not writing this because there's this uh, particular sin issue happening in the church like he did with First and Second Corinthians, but rather he's writing this letter to just e- express his deep appreciation, express his love for this church. And you get this fatherly heart if you will, when you read through it. And he just has this incredible love and it's this mutual love that the Philippian believers had for Paul as well. And more than any other church, this church supported Paul, not just with prayers. You know, I would be praying for you, bro, as you go about, you know, planting the next church. No, these guys collected money. They sent money and resources to be a support for Paul, to provide for him, to care for him. And in this letter, because of his deep love for these people, Paul just expresses his joy. He's like, man, I am just brought to joy when I think about you guys. Like, wow. And just the joy that Paul, you know, has towards the the Philippians just oozes out of this letter. Even though he's writing in prison, his circumstances are very bleak, but he's just, Lord, thank you. I love these guys. And in this letter early on, he gives an update on his life and his ministry, like what's been going on. And in essence, he's saying, I know you've heard that I'm in prison, but don't worry. I know you care for me. You just sent me some resources. Don't worry. The gospel is still going out. God is still using it. God is still using me in prison here. And it's just an amazing thing. It's in this letter where Paul would pen the famous words that we all know. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gained, right? Paul has this eternal perspective about his life. He's like, I would much rather go to heaven, be with Jesus, but if that's not in the cards for me right now, I guess I'll stay here in the flesh, and it's far better. And then in chapter two, he exhorts them, hey, have this mind in Christ. If I can just encourage you in one way, just be more like Jesus, Man, you can't ever get enough of that. Just be like Jesus. Have this, the humility that Jesus himself has. And then in chapter three, he tells us to beware of dogs, right? Like what? Beware of evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision, he says. And, and these were, he, he's warning about the people who are trying to infiltrate the church with legalistic theology, We would call those people Jesus plus theology, right? It's Jesus plus works in order to be saved. Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus the law. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Place no confidence in the flesh, right? He says, because if that was the way to do it, I'm like, and he lists out his like resume. He's like, dude, I was, I was blameless when it came to law, right? So, but I count all that loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And he says that I don't have this righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And so all throughout this letter, we see Paul's heart for the church. Guys, I love you. Guys, I care for you. I'm thinking about you. And when I do, it just puts a smile on my face. Keep being Jesus to the community, guys. Keep trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. Don't listen to the legalists out there. They're trying to distort, oops, distort the gospel. 
It's Jesus alone. And then in our text this morning in verse 17, he says this, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever heard the saying, do as I say and not as I do? You're like, yes, I told it to my kids all growing up, right? Like, <laughs> you've, you've probably said it, right? What that person's saying or what you were in essence saying probably maybe to your child is that my example is probably not the best to follow. Just do what I'm telling you to do, right? Or, or even if it looks like I'm contradicting myself, just obey me, right? Just do it. That's not what Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying here in this verse. Paul begins this section of scripture by saying, brethren, that means brothers, sisters, men, women, follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He's saying, if you want to keep following the ways of Jesus, if you want to keep growing as a disciple, as a learner, he's saying to literally, he's like, look at me. Look at my life. Now, if you're new to the Bible, new to, new to Christianity, you might hear that and you're like, dude, is, that, is this guy just full of himself? Like, does this guy, does this Paul guy think he's just perfect and has it all together? Why? I mean, why, what makes him think he's the big role model in the church, you know? I don't know. That's not Paul's heart at all. Because Paul was the one in Romans who said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then toward the end of his life, remember when he's writing to young Timothy, he says, man, Timothy, this is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in whom I am chief. Like I'm the worst of sinners. And so Paul knew and he understood that he didn't have it all together. He was a sinner saved by grace and he was reliant upon the grace of God in his life. Again, he wasn't perfect. Um, he was an example of perfection, but of process. He was an example of process. He wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that there is this pattern and the pattern is Jesus. And that's how I'm trying to live. And so if you want a living, breathing pattern, sorry, I forgot the clip and it's kind of moving around, that you can follow. You want this pattern that you can follow in your life. You want this example. He says, just look at my life. Because I'm trying to follow Jesus. Again, he's not being egotistical here. He goes on to say, uh, I'm not the only one. Notice that. I'm not the only one you can look at. He says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He's saying, find those people. Surround yourself with people that, that would help strengthen your faith. Encourage your walk with Jesus so that you would become more like Jesus. And that's the goal of our lives this morning, to be with Jesus, right? On a daily basis, to be like Jesus, to follow out in, in life and do what Jesus would do, right? WWJD, do, what would Jesus do? Well, that's what we're patterning our lives after, that's the goal of our lives. Listen, for you and, and I here in 2021, we need to surround ourselves with men and women who love Jesus passionately. People who are broken 
filled with humility, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to look at them, observe them, follow them. Watch how they live their lives. And then once we watch and we observe, pattern your life after them. I mean, this is very practical stuff that the Apostle Paul is saying. Again, he's not, he's not saying like, find perfect people, right? Or find people who have it all together on the outside for, no, 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 no. Those people don't exist, right? Find those people who are broken. Find those people who are desperate for the grace of God in their daily lives. Now, for me, I love people watching, all right? If you were to ask me, Ryan, what are some of your hobbies? Don't ask me that question, all right? It's really sad, okay? Never ask me. But one of the things that I do enjoy doing is getting a good cup of coffee and sitting down in a park or sitting down maybe at the Clackamas Town Center in one of the comfy chairs, drinking my Americano and just watching, just watching people. And it's pretty fun. Like, it's, it's cheaper than going to a baseball game or a basketball game, which I love doing, but you know, COVID. Um, so, so you can go to the mall and you can watch these people and you learn a lot from these people. I can tell so much from what is the most important thing in their life. Okay, maybe not really, okay? I'm like, but you know what I mean? From, an, from, a, from a visual standpoint, from a surface standpoint, I can see what, where do they derive their identity from? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like what's most important to them in their life? You can just watch how they carry themselves, how they dress, who their friends are. You can, again, you can see what is most important to them, but even in just in everyday life for you and I, set aside the, the good cup of coffee in the Clackamas Town Center, I still do watch people. I watch pastors, people that I don't even know. I just, I'm always looking at their life. How are they doing? How are they um, lo loving and leading their families? How are these pastors caring for their churches? And how are they leading in that way? And what I try to do personally, uh, because not every person is amazing at all things, is you take certain things. You take the good from this person's life or, or the good from that person's life, and you start applying those things to your life. So you want to grow in your love for the Bible? I'm going to surround myself with someone who just loves God's word and is in God's word. I'm going to surround myself with guys like Pastor Doug. Like that guy loves the word of God. And I just want to glean from him. How did you get this love for the word of God in your life? How did you create healthy reading plans and, and, and daily readings, you know, just to strengthen your walk? If you want to grow in prayer, like my dad is like, he is the model, and he probably wouldn't, he'd probably be embarrassed if I told, said that, but he just prays about everything, everything. I mean, and I've told stories, like praying over cars that weren't working. Like, he's like, God, like, we need you to come through for this, fix it. It would get fixed. He just has faith, and he just, he's so desperate for God. So it's like, I want to grow in my prayer life. Hey, man, what do you do? Like, prayer's a struggle for me. Surround yourself with men or women who are strong in that area. Follow their example. Observe their patterns. So let me ask you this morning, who do you want as your examples? Who do I want as my examples? Perfect people? People that just look the part, they're smiling in, in the lobby on Sunday and they're, they're just kind of faking their way through. No, 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 no way. I don't relate to perfect people. I might try. I don't relate to them. But I want to personally follow someone who will lead me to the Savior, even in their struggles. Always point me to Jesus. And so Paul tells the Philippians, hey, follow my example or observe those walking well. Why does he feel the need to say this? Look at verse 18. For many walk, 
of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. He says, for many walk. Note that word, many. For many walk. There's a lot of them. You know, it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 7 where he says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Jesus is saying there are two roads. There's this broad road, there's this wide path and it's pretty comfortable in the here and now, but that leads to destruction. And he says, unfortunately, many people are on it. But then he said, no, there's a, there's a narrow way. There's another way. This is a good thing. There's another way. It's a better way. But unfortunately, Jesus says, there's a few who find it. They are the minority who are on this narrow way. As followers of Jesus, you and I, we too are the minority in this world. Do you understand that? Can I get some shaking heads? Yes, we are the minority in this world. Let me ask you this question. As you seek to live out your Christian life here in January, maybe this last year, in the culture of Portland or, or Gladstone or Milwaukee or Happy Valley, wherever you're living, do you ever feel like you don't fit in? <laughs> like, yeah, right? Like, I just don't belong here. Like, I don't fit with these, this group. I don't fit with this group. I've been feeling a lot of that lately in, in last, with last year. And I tried my whole life to try to fit in. You know, I wanted to go, not with the status quo, but I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. But now I'm like, dude, I don't know if I want to fit in this world. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've tried. Like, I've tried to do the Christian thing simultaneously with it. That doesn't work. And then, so I'm finding myself like, dude, I don't fit. And that's a good thing. We shouldn't feel like we fit in this world because as the Bible says, this world is not our home. We're pilgrims, the Bible says. We're aliens. We're just passing through. And what Paul is telling us here, and it's true that the most, most people living in this world are living to please themselves. They're living to please their flesh, their, their fleshly desires. And they've set their minds primarily upon earthly things, things that are temporal, things that are fleeting, and the problem with setting your minds on earthly things is that they don't satisfy. They're always just creating us this hunger for more, more, more. And this is one of the things that concerns me when I look about the church. And I'm not saying like churches as organizations, but just people in the church. Especially here in America, many people are just trying to, to do as much as they can just to fit in with the culture. They spend a lot of time and energy to see how much they can just blend in. Listen, the gospel doesn't just blend in. It comes in stark contrast to what we see in our world. Amen? Listen, when there is nothing different in us, you and I, Nothing different from the culture and the way that we walk and the way that we talk and the way that we live our lives and how we act at work and our work ethic even. And where we find our sense of security. 
You know, this world, where's our security? I have a very tiny um, uh, retirement account. I'm way too young to even think about it. But I, so I get it in the mail like every month. I'm like, okay, just thinking about it. Like I should probably add more to it. You know, like I, I sometimes I can get my security in knowing that I have a future there. Like if our sense of even security or identity where you feel valued is no different from where the world feels those things and finds those things, there is a major problem. There's a major problem. G.K. Chesterton said this, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. And I say amen to that. That's what God wants for us. Not to be someone who's always swaying here and swaying there and trying to adapt to the culture here and adapt to the culture there. But someone who's like, hey, no, the gospel's gonna transform. Why? Verse 18, for many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice that Paul is not just casually warning them. And I sense this, and I, and I said it earlier, just like this fatherly tone to this letter, um, as a father would, would just warn his son of impending danger. Paul here, he's weeping when he's writing to the church. The church can't see him weeping. The church can't see him just tearing up. I mean, maybe he put a little tear, tear spot like on, on the scroll or whatever, but his heart is just heavy. He's concerned. He's trying to communicate emotion here. He's like, guys... There are people that are influencing the church away from the gospel, away from the grace of God. Now, Paul, um, he's now giving the church this contrast, if you will. He says, there are some people worth following, and I'm one of them. There's some people that you can pattern your lives after, and then there are others that are not. There's actually some that are completely dangerous to follow. That's who we're looking at right now. Who are these people? He says, these are enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies. That word enemy there is the same word that James used when he wrote in James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy enemy of God. Paul is likely not talking about the legalist, uh, which he had already just warned about earlier in the chapter, but most likely about the libertines. Both camps abuse the grace of God, and Paul says they are enemies of the cross of Christ. The legalist, they're an enemy of the cross because they're seeking to obtain their righteousness on their own, right? Their own efforts. They're trying to earn their own way to God, Jesus plus, you know, their good deeds. And Paul says those guys are an enemy of the cross of Christ, but they didn't just have legalists in, the, in their day. They also had the libertines, and these, these were the, the camp who would seek to take the grace of God and abuse it. They figured, well, since he saved us, we can just live however we want to live. And they used the grace of God as a license to sin. Well, I'm in, so I can just go about whatever I want, whatever kind of satisfies my flesh. But Paul says about these guys, look at verse 19, whose end is destruction. That word destruction is the same word that Jesus used back in Matthew 7 that I just read a, a bit ago. That many are taking this wide path, this, through this wide gate, the broad way. And Jesus said that leads to destruction. 
That's these guys as well, these enemies of the cross of Christ. You wanna pervert the gospel? You wanna stop trusting solely in the grace of God? He says, your end will be destruction, damnation. He says, whose God is their appetite? Or maybe your translation says belly. I don't know if he's really referring to physical bodies. Maybe it could be. It could be dietary restrictions or, 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 or plans or whatever. Uh, but in other words, I would say that their God doesn't reside in heaven. He resides in their flesh. They live only for the temporal pleasures of this world. They're enslaved to that instant gratification to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. So their God is whatever they want in the moment, whatever makes me happy, that is who I'm serving today. And he says, and whose glory is in their shame. I like in this, uh, they high five about things that should have brought embarrassment to them and shame to them. They're rejoicing. John MacArthur said this, this is the most extreme form of wickedness. When the sinner's most wretched conduct before God is his highest point of self-exaltation, whose glory is in their shame, excited about the things that grieve God's heart. And finally, Paul says about these guys who set their minds on earthly things. Instead of setting their minds on or their eyes on the prize of being like Jesus, they have their minds on earthly things. Paul, he rounds out this list of the enemies of the cross of Christ by saying that their minds are fully set on the things of this world. Their entire lives are oriented around the things of this world rather than seeking Jesus to be their savior, to save them from their sin, they abuse his grace and they just dive deeper into it. They have no regard to the words of Jesus in Mark 8 where he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And Paul says to this church whom he loves, stay away from these people. Be on the alert. Watch out for them. There are many. Many of them are out there. And if I could just take a moment this morning and say to us as a church, a local church, we too need to be on the alert for these people. Men or women, they could be friends or family, neighbors or coworkers who will try and distort the cross of Christ. What do I mean by that? They will try and pressure us and distract us and tempt us to join in with them to trust other things than Jesus himself, to place our trust in the things of this world. Some might try to convince you that to trust Jesus is not just enough. Maybe you need to get, still go to church three times a week and, and you need to do all of these different things. Be careful. Be careful about those people who are adding to Jesus. Our salvation and our security is rooted in the person and work of Jesus and Jesus alone. Others in our lives will try and tell us, hey, well, you go to church most Sundays. Like, that's better than the average American. Like, 
I think God's pretty happy with you, right? Like, just do whatever you want Monday through Friday. Like, cheat here, steal there, like, just dabble here or whatever, you know? Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. You know, this last few months has been, and you know, and I'm going to allude to it a little bit, grieving to my heart when we look at the political climate of our culture because I'm seeing so much of the church and even people in our church and the temptation of my own flesh is even to join in with them is placing our hope and our confidence and our trust in politicians for their salvation and for our hope and our comfort And we find, and we can find ourselves so easy saying, well, if only my candidate gets elected or this person doesn't get elected, then all hope will be restored. Listen, if you and I are trusting in anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ for hope, for peace, for salvation, for tomorrow. And if we continue to go down this path, we will end up on that broad road that leads to destruction because many are on it. And if they were infiltrating the church here in Philippi that Paul planted and it was a healthy church, we would be mistaken if they wouldn't infiltrate this church or even that mentality to infiltrate our hearts. Again, I say this to you today because myself, for me, I found myself in the last few months trusting in political systems, placing hope in Supreme Court justices, and I found myself fighting for those things, whether in my heart or with friends or with fellow believers that make me more comfortable here on earth. And at times, again, in this past season, I found myself placing my reliance and dependency not on Jesus, but on these earthly things. I'm reminded of that time when Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. And he's talking to his disciples about his future. And he says, guys, I'm going to be going down to Jerusalem. And that's where I'm going to suffer. And that's where I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to die. I'm going to be murdered. And it's there that in the course of that conversation that Peter, good old Peter, brings Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Now, never a good idea to rebuke Jesus, okay? <laughs> Submit his, his will, not your will. Okay, whatever. But he begins to rebuke Jesus. He says, he says no, 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 there is no way you will not go to the cross, Jesus. You will not suffer. You will not die. This will not happen. And it's in that very moment, Peter becomes an enemy of the cross of Christ. And you know what Jesus tells him, Matthew 16? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter thought he was helping Jesus out. Peter thought he was defending the ministry. But Peter didn't have an internal perspective. What is God doing in our midst? What does God want to accomplish in the here and now? No, no, no. His, his mind was, dude, kingdom now. Here we go. 
King Jesus is right here. Let's build up. Let's destroy the Romans. And Paul's reminding that church in Philippi, this is a danger. This can happen to anyone. These voices are all around us. They're the majority. And they're starting to infiltrate the church. He says, be on the lookout. Be watchful for these people. And then he broadens their perspective and he reminds them of this very important truth. Look at verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul's saying, even though the majority of the world who are enemies of the cross of Christ have their, their minds set on earthly things, he said, we are citizens of heaven. We have our minds on the promises of God. We're living for a different kingdom. Amen? Listen, as followers of Jesus here in 2021, listen, we are citizens of heaven. That word citizenship, you know that in the Greek, that's where we get our word for politics. Politics in the Bible, by the way, side note, that one's free. That's where we get our word for Paul. I would, I would say it in the Greek, but I would butcher it and make a fool of myself. So just go home and do a word study. It's pretty fascinating. But he's saying our political affiliation is in heaven. Though the world tries to pin you down, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you an independent? Are you whoever? You and I are called to a higher allegiance. You know, the Bible speaks often about this dual citizenship that we have. And Pastor Kevin alluded to it last week. And even when he was prepping for his study last week, we were talking about this dual citizenship. Again, it's found in scripture, right? We're citizens on earth, right? Paul, he was a Roman citizen. He actually used, used his citizenship um, to, to defend his ministry and all of those things. Uh, but we're, and we're called to be good citizens here and now. And then this could be a whole different message about what it means to be a citizen on earth. But, uh, but as Paul says here, we're also a citizen of heaven. And so again, Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this dual citizenship thing. And what I was left with, I don't know what he was left with, but I was left with this could be kind of dangerous in our terminology. Though dual citizenship is true, hear me out. But it, to me, it can kind of give off an idea in our hearts of dual alliances, dual allegiance. And we can have, and we can, we can work the hardest to try to reconcile the two and, and play the two, but at the end of the day, one party is going to supersede the other, right? One party, you're going to have more loyalty to one than the other. And Paul is saying, your first, our first and primary political affiliation, loyalty, is in heaven. You see, the Philippians would have clearly understood this. They lived in Macedonia, but a colony of Philippi was governed completely by Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony. They understood this, again, as Roman citizens living in this far-off land. They were subject to all of the laws of Rome, first and foremost. Like, that was their, their primary laws. They also had the rights and privileges as being Roman citizens, when they had a baby, they quickly registered that baby to be a Roman citizen. And again, the same is true for you and I. We, when we come to faith in Christ, we become registered members, right, of heaven, citizens of heaven. That place becomes our true home. That's where we ultimately belong. We have all of the rights, all of the privileges of being citizens in heaven. Amen? 
So no matter what happens on earth, it doesn't matter what direction our country goes in, Paul is telling them, hey, we have a higher king than Caesar. We have a higher allegiance than the one in Rome. And again, the same goes for us. Our highest loyalty is not to a particular party, whether Republican or Democrat, or even to our favorite politician. Our greatest allegiance and devotion is to King Jesus. And it's Jesus that Paul says in verse 20, it's him that we're eagerly waiting for. Eagerly waiting for, he says. When you think of that term, eagerly waiting, what, what comes to your mind? What was that? Rapture. Rapture. Yeah, totally like edges. See, yeah. Eyes open. open, waiting. You know, there's a difference between eagerly waiting and just waiting, right? When you go to the dentist <laughs> and you're sitting in the, the, the waiting room, you're, there's no eagerly waiting there, right? You're not like, oh, is the nurse coming to bring me back? Like, you're just not like on the edge of your seat. Just at any moment, I'm going to go and this is going to be amazing. No, there might be some anxious waiting, right? But you're not, you're not eagerly waiting. You might be casually waiting. But I'll tell you this. When my wife and I have a vacation planned, we were packed like two months in advance. Okay, that's probably a little bit dramatic. But we have countdowns on our phones that we're looking at on a daily basis. I'm looking at the weather app, but I'm just like, I am in full anticipation. Paula knows, man. Paula and Rio, you guys like have Disney World on your, on your calendar. You know it. You're an eager, you're eagerly waiting. You're like, Disney World's coming, right? Eagerly waiting. Let me ask you, do you find yourself this morning eagerly waiting for Jesus and his return? Do you find yourself ready and prepared for his coming? Or are we just casually sitting in the waiting room Knowing it's going to happen, probably trying to blend in because we don't want to be taken back right now, you know, but just waiting. You know, Paul would write to the Colossians in Colossians 2, Pastor Kevin preached on this last week, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What are we waiting for? Verse 21, Jesus who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to, his, to himself. We're waiting for the Savior to do what Caesar can't do. We're waiting, people, for the Savior to do what politicians can't do. We're waiting for Jesus to transform us, fully transform us to be more like him. And notice that it's his power that does the work to make us more like Jesus. It's not our work, it's not our effort, it's not our strength, it's all about Jesus. Church, we have a bright future. Amen? We have a hope because of Jesus that will not disappoint. That's Romans chapter five. A hope that this world cannot give you. So we can try to place our hope in politicians and Supreme Court justices or whatever, our 401ks. But listen, those things are temporal. Those things can be gone in an instant, which we saw. <laughs> 
But we have a hope again that will not disappoint because we have a risen Savior. We have a living hope, as Peter says. We have a citizenship in heaven. And I pray this morning that we would be men and women, sons and daughters of the King, who would be eagerly waiting for our King to come for us, to bring us home. Amen. As a worship team, I think, Chris, if you're in the other room, if you want to come out, and we're going to close this morning. I want to ask you this question. Are you a citizen of heaven? Can you say that with confidence? Do you have that hope? Some of you might be sitting here, maybe you're, maybe you're watching online this service and you're not a citizen of heaven and you're like, well, how do I become one? I want to make sure that I'm one. It's easy. That's, that's the beautiful thing. You just put your faith and your trust in Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross when he went to the cross and died for you and paid the price for your sins as he made a way for you because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were separated from God. And he made a way for us to be made new, brought to life, brought into a relationship with God where our sins are forgiven, our guilt is removed. No more shame, no more sin. He took us from being on the, the broad path, that path that just fits in with the culture that goes away from the cross that ends in destruction and he's placed us on the narrow way that leads to life. And so would you just this morning open up your heart to him? If you've never committed your life to Jesus, let today be that day. Let today be that day. But maybe you're here and you're, you are a believer. But you've allowed yourself to get distracted by the cares and worries of this world. And you have your mind set on the things of man, not on the things of God. I believe the Holy Spirit would tell us today and to remind us that Jesus is our hope. He's our savior. This is not our home. Our real home is coming. We're just pilgrims. We're aliens. We're passing through. But if you need this morning to confess and repent, I encourage you to do that this morning. Once again, tell the Lord, Lord, you're my hope. I trust you and you alone. Forgive me for trusting in any other thing for peace in life, salvation in life, joy in life. He's our everything, amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what only your spirit can do, and that is to really search the depths of our hearts. As David would, would write in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways and, and, and search down, Lord, if there, see if there's any wicked way in us. God, would you find it? Would you cut it out? And would you lead us into the way of everlasting? God, we need you to do what only you can do. Lord, we love you and we worship you. you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here, some people over here, some people over here, and uh, we want to pray for you. Man, we're doing this life together, and 
if you want to give your life to Jesus, now is that time. The Holy Spirit, if he's tugging on your heart, just say yes to Jesus. And that will lead you in a prayer. But if you need, just need prayer, like I need to just lay the worries of this world down at the foot of the cross and trust Jesus and place my confidence and hope in Jesus, we'd love to pray for you this morning.